Hey guys, and welcome to episode 20 of Open Conversations. Yep, we just reached episode 20 of just talking to random people. So on today's show, I welcome my guest Jerome. Um, so Jerome runs a, a blog called cdtalk.com where he talks about finance. So we just had a conversation about just what's happened during the pandemic. Um, we talked about the NBA NBA playoffs starting soon and also we talked about you know data yeah we talked about data for all you data nerds we talked about you know using data for gone as far as economics about unemployment and also data in elections because we have an election coming up in the next couple of months so yeah it'll be fun to use data for election co- coverage right yeah i think so too but yeah um fun conversation really enjoyed it so just sit back relax and enjoy Great, great, great. Good. How's your How's your day going so far? Um, a bit hectic, but uh, almost done. Almost done. Are you working late, or is it just like other things? Uh, I'm working late, but then I usually do. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, same, same. I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. How's so? How's your pandemic season going so far? Um, I think right after the lockdown, um, most businesses, including where I work, reopened. So we've basically been coming to work. And um, the biggest effect of the pandemic um, on an individual level, I would say, is more of on the social life side. Um, there's no going out. Um, um, no parties, no hanging mm-hmm. out, that stuff. Yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest change on a personal level. But from the work perspective, uh, we've just been working. Hmm. So now, so when on the weekends, what do you normally do nowadays? Um, a, a bit, a few side hustles. Um, and then reading and um, catching up on on whatever is happening in the MBA. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think the MBA is starting next week, right? Oh, they've started. I mean, the playoffs. Yeah, the playoffs. Are starting, yeah, they're starting next week. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it's Monday. I'm starting on Monday. Yeah. Uh, but so, it's 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 weird because I've been watching some of the highlights and it's just. It's not the same, to be honest, because there's no crowd. It's just them playing. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different experience. But we, like, I'm just so happy they are back that I, I can't even complain. I'm just so happy <laughs> they've been able to restart the season. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, how it looks like, and everything. But who do you think is going to win the playoffs, though? Um, for the whole title, my heart says the Lakers, mm-hmm. uh, but my head says the LA Clippers. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, so nobody from the Eastern Conference at all? Um, I don't. The Bucks are probably the best Eastern Conference team. Um, but if they do make it to the finals, I don't think they have enough experience to beat either the Lakers or the Clippers. Mm, that's true. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. 
And what do you think about our situation in Ghana with the COVID? Because I think we don't have any, the, the Ghana Premier League is, is still on suspension, right? Yeah, they, they, they canceled it. They terminated it. Oh, yeah, they canceled it. Yeah. So, so nothing happened yeah. on our side. So no sports for us. Um, yes, I think there are truly no sports. Yeah, I think most gyms even remain closed. Mm. Or if they remain open, people do not want to go. Um, but funny enough, I see lots of people working out on the streets these days. You know, walking, jogging. Yeah, I see, I see people walking. Like, I think I see mostly walking and jogging as well, yeah. Right, right. People are trying to stay in shape, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. So, um, so I, right now, I think our main thing that's happening in Ghana as far as, like, in activities, elections, right? Because everybody's just yeah. getting up for that. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we are... Campaign season is underway, and if it hadn't been for, for COVID, we might have been seeing some rallies by now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm seeing some things that look like mini rallies, mm -hmm. um, like when John Mahama goes to um, introduce his vice president to his vice presidential candidate to chiefs. A lot of people seem to mass up. So <laughs> I think if we are not careful uh, by November, it will it will look as if there was no COVID at all in terms of the political front. Yeah, true, because right now, um, I think I checked the numbers yesterday and I was seeing that the active cases are what, 2,000 something? Yes, that's an improvement, right? Yeah, it looks look like it's an, a big improvement. Right, yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, when do you think they open the borders? Because even because with the numbers going down, do you think that they'll open the borders soon or later? I think we have actually reached a point where they should have started opening, at least uh, from where I sit. Because um, people are coming in anyway. People are coming in and being quarantined for 14 days. Yeah. Yes. So I do not know whether that's an open process, as in anybody who wants to come should just agree to 14 days and they can come in, or it's for a select few. Mm. But if, if it's for a select few, then I think they should expand it to um, just say anyone who wants to come from anywhere in the world should just agree to pay and, and be quarantined for 14 days. And, yep. and then, yeah, so that we can, we can have people coming in again. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Um, hopefully soon, sooner than later. But yeah, so yeah, um, so I actually want to discuss uh, some things as far as like finance and stuff, because I know you run um, a finance blog, right? Right, I do. It's called .com. Yeah, and I think it's good. And it talks about, I think you talk about, well, not wealth, but you know, money management and other things of that nature. Right, yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about um, money management from the Ghanaian perspective. Nowadays, or honestly nowadays, I think even before, 
people, especially young people, I don't know if it's young people or just people in general, how we talk about money is interesting. We don't necessarily talk about it like normal, like, you know, just two people talking and three people talking. It's kind of like very low key and everything like that. So I wanted to know, like, do you think it's, a, it's like more of a cultural thing because we don't talk about money in the open or is it something, something else? Um, I think um, like, um, and this is not just a Ghanaian thing only, um, money is kind of determines one's status in society. So um, people are very uh, hesitant um, to openly discuss it, for example, like telling you how much they make. Um, because they feel you may um, judge, judge them or decide how you want to treat them based on how much they earn. Mm. And especially for young people um, who are having challenges um, both in the job market and in entrepreneurship. Um, when you meet someone and they ask you, what do you do? For example, and it's, it can, depending on where you are currently working or what you are currently doing, it could be a very difficult question to answer because you feel like they want to um, kind of see where they will place you on the social ladder. And so it's, it's because money, it kind of determines one status in society. People do not want to talk about it. Um, another reason um, people are not talking about it so much is that um, if we go back um, to a generation ago, uh, our parents' generation, when um, um, your peers, basically, um, you finish university and you all have a job or you are all working in the civil service, you, you kind of know what the next guy is earning because that's probably what you are earning. Mm -hmm. um, at the time when the civil service basically absorbed lots of people. Um, and so it m might have been much easier then to talk about it. But in our current situation, um, let's say there's a whole class size. Um, how many people um, in one graduating class end up working at the same place? It's, it's, it's not as um, common as it used to be. So there's so much variety, and that means there's so much disparity as well. And, and, and so people um, um, are less likely to know what their friends are making anyway. And that kind of starts a cycle where nobody wants to say how much they make because the next guy may be like, wow, I'm making way more than you are, or something um, of that sort. So I think it's a status problem, um, first of all. Secondly, it's because there's so much disparity right now uh, that people um, are, do not want to even start that conversation because they do not want to know how much less they are making than the next guy or girl. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I think we're saying about the status things. I mean. It's interesting in Ghana, like I don't know the exact number or 
where the number falls, but it looks like there's a huge gap between, I would say, middle class or low, middle class, lower middle class, and then higher class. There's a huge gap. So like, don't we have numbers to determine who is exactly middle class? Like, do you know what the number is now? Um, that's a that's a really good question. Um, from the Ghana uh, Living Standards Survey, uh, the latest one, we should be able to see what the average uh, income is. Uh, that would allow us to determine what is middle class. It's unfortunate I don't have the figures on me, but um, one thing that always struck me um, that is the figures before the latest one. Uh, one thing that always struck me was how surprised um, people in my circle are when they realize what the actual uh, middle class um, wages. Because mm -hmm. this was around 2015 or 16, if I'm not mistaken. Per my calculations, uh, it was around about seven to eight hundred cities um, per month was like the top ten percent. Whoa! Yeah, was like the top ten percent. If you were earning that, you were in the top ten percent of income earners in the whole country. <laughs> wow! Um, yes. So um, I do not. I need to look at what the the newest figures say, but I'm guessing it will still be. Maybe in the range of a thousand, um, thinking about inflation, um, to put you in like the top ten percent. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because if you tell somebody that, yeah, earning eight hundred to a thousand CDs makes you top ten percent. I mean, I'm, I mean that's it's interesting because somebody said a thousand. Somebody said a joke that a thousand CDs is the new hundred CDs, which is which is right. kind of. I agree in a way because if you look what the prices are on the market, it's kind of the same. Yeah, that, that is really true. Um, but I, I think there has always been a large divide. Um, and one thing I have um, tried to learn over the years is to appreciate um, the struggles of um, people on a lower income scale, but not to pretend that I can relate. Because mm -hmm. I think sometimes we get a bit condescending. Um, a thousand cities is a new hundred cities, but there's somebody earning 300, 400 cities. And that person has a family to take care of. Mm -hmm. And we are all living in the same Accra. Yep. We, we simply cannot speak for them. I mean, we cannot pretend to know what they go through. So for people like us who are, who are privileged to have a college education, um, uh, we, a, a thousand cities after you take out things like rent, um, either fuel if you're a driver or Uber costs, if you are not or structural costs, um, you take out food, you take out the, the occasional outing, you take out data costs, mm -hmm. you take out um, phone credit, clothing, 
and you have nothing. In fact, a thousand won't even be able to cater for all of that. And it's crazy that that is what the top 10% of income earners are going through. The top 10% are people who are, um, um, what shall I say? Like you are struggling, but you are in the top 10%. Yeah. And that should tell you how dire the situation is for people um, who are earning much less than we are. And um, the lifestyle, it's also a factor. Um, with, with your income, there's, uh, there's something called um, the lifestyle creep, which is basically the phenomenon that the more your income goes up, the higher your living standards be, become, and then you have almost nothing saved up. Mm -hmm. So, um, as I said, this is not about uh, people on the lower income ladder, because I'm not going to pretend to understand what life is for them. But for people like us, let's say you graduate from school, and then you are earning after national service, you are earning 1,500 Ghana cities, assuming. And then um, you are kind of managing because you went from earning about 600 to about 1,005. And so perhaps your lifestyle may not have immediately jumped. Um, still living in the same hostel you were in or you are living with your parents. And so you don't necessarily um, see that you're unable to save. Then you um, decide that it's, it's time to move out or um, you decide to cut the trotters and start taking more of Uber, Uber or you, you, you are lucky enough for your parents to get you a car and now you need to buy fuel. You realize that that 1,005 is, is own, it, it can't do anything. And then you are lucky to get a raise. Maybe you are now on two five. You expect that, oh, I was making, um, I was getting by with thousand five, so I should be able to do really well with two five. Mm -hmm. But then your lifestyle creeps up. Um, you spend more on maybe data. Um, you, you, your, your rent may go up. Um, your clothing goes up. Um, you may eat out more. Mm -hmm. And then before you realize you are unable to do anything on this new salary. And it goes on and on. Um, you go to um, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 and above. And you realize that your lifestyle would always adjust to meet the new salary. It, it, it is it's just a, a, a fact of life. And then, um, so you, you will still be unable to save uh, pretty much. So anyway, I do not want to jump, jump the topic. I know we'll get to savings later. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can even, even discuss it now because we're just jumping from that as far as savings. <laughs> Like, how do you even save in this like climate? Because right now, if you look at the banks, for instance, when you sign up the banks, you have a checking account and a savings account. 
Even Correct. putting money in that savings account doesn't really earn you as much as you may want. It's, it's very tiny compared to maybe some things you can actually go into, maybe, maybe like mutual funds or fixed deposit or something like that. But right. it, it's, it's, yeah, because if somebody living on 300 CDs, how much mm-hmm. are they going to put in to a bank account or a savings <laughs> account to earn anything? Right. Yes. Yeah. I think um, for, for some people, we just have to be honest that um, um, given their current situation, they are just unable to save. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are earning too little to be able to save. And that is, that is a phenomenon. Um, the only way for them is if they could find a way to raise additional income and uh, maybe through side jobs or something, but um, that is going to be very difficult. But um, to be honest, I think that that do not form a large uh, proportion of um, audience, of my audience or people who read City Talk because they are usually college educated people who are more likely to be in the, the top 10%. Um, mm. And so for people like us, we, we need to uh, understand first of all that there isn't too much security in the environment we find ourselves in. You could be out of a job at any time. Yeah. Um, there's no unemployment benefits for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so whenever you have the opportunity of being in employment and you are earning money, you have to have the mindset that this thing is not permanent. I must put something away for a rainy day. And the best way of doing that is letting your money go before you can touch it. Mm -hmm. You need to set up standing orders. you, you have a list of investments. You have treasury bills, you have mutual funds, um, you have um, real estate investment trusts, you have pension funds. Just uh, say that I'm putting 10 to 15% of my income here before anything else. Because if you take your money, you are definitely going to find something to do with it. Um, yeah the contributions um, for weddings, um, new clothes you have to show up in, um, boys, boys, or girls, girls hangouts, um, new tires that you need to get, uh, some repairs on your, on your car or, 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 or something. Something, once you have money, it's like problems kind of smell that there's money around <laughs> and let me rear my head up right now. And so you need to get into the habit of putting money away every month in a well-diversified um, liquid um, portfolio. And so once that is gone, then you can say that, okay, this is what I have left and this is what I'm going to live on for the month. Um, I, I am not too much a proponent of um, trying to 
uh, strictly um, follow a routine um, each month. Like this month, I can only spend um, maybe 50 CDs on data. Right. I cannot go above it. Mm-hmm. I can only spend um, 100 CDs on fuel, for example. I cannot go above it. I like the the I like people to have flexibility. So my philosophy is get the savings out of the way first, okay, and then manage the rest. Because once you you are having, let's say, a thousand cities as an example, you put away a hundred cities, you have nine hundred cities. Then you would be able to know what is a priority and what can wait till next month. But if you if you take the whole money and say that I'm only going to spend 900 CDs and then I will now go save the 100, it's, it's unlikely. It, that may not happen. Yes. So get the savings out of the way. Manage the rest. Manage the rest. And, and if you feel like you need to have fun, sure, you should have fun. But then that means the savings is out of the way. Once that is out of the way, if you decide, oh, um, I'm going to have fun this month. Well, once you've, you've saved already, so sure. I mean, that's why we are working. You need to have fun. So I think saving before you touch the rest of your money is uh, the best bet for people in that situation. Hmm. That's true. That's true. Well, right now, right now, um, what tends to happen? You know how the economy works. We're always looking at, you know, the dollar to the CD rate and everything, the depreciation of the currency. And what tends to happen most of the time is that prices tend to rise high, you know, very if, if infrequently. So right. before you know it, you turn your saving for this, and the next time you go out, it's like prices have doubled, right? So the question right. is, how how come that um, prices are always rising, but yeah, people mm-hmm. pay payments like salary and everything never catches up to those rising prices. Yeah, that's uh, another good question. There's um, there's this um, saying in economics that wages are sticky. Um, uh, downwards, but that also means that they are sticky upwards. When things are good, um, uh, when sorry, when things are bad for a business, okay, it's very difficult for them to say that we are going to cut wages. It's like once you set wages, you you it's something you cannot cut downwards, and so um, businesses kind of take that advantage to say that also when things are good, then they are also, you are also not going to get a raise. And um, this is more of a problem in the private sector because the private sector, things are negotiated on an employee by employee basis. Mm. So you, you are being hired for a job and then um, they negotiate with you how much do you want um, you agree on a salary, you realize that there are, there's usually no nothing in the um, 
employment letter or anything that says that the salary is going to automatically increase by 10% per year or something like this. There's no provision for that. You sign it and that is what you are given. But if you take the public sector, they deal with in unions. Okay, so they have the unions that, that agree with um, the government uh, and they set wage levels. Um, they set what is known as the cost of living allowance. And um, when salaries are increased, sometimes they have salary arrears, which the government has to pay. But, uh, and so on the public sector, I know it's, it's not to the level that they will want it, but at least there's some recognition that things are uh, getting more expensive. And so we need to revise your salary upwards. On the private sector side, it's an employee to employer negotiation. And then when that is signed, basically that is it. So the onus is on the employee to talk to the employer and let the employer know that things are not easy. So um, inflation is like 11% um, for like the last three years, for example, and my salary has remained the same through those three years. And so I'm being basically paid less in terms of purchasing power. And why we do not see that happening is because um, there are not enough jobs. And so people in the private sector, at least, are very hesitant uh, or reluctant to talk to their employers about increasing salaries. Mm. Because the employer is not going to do it. There's little motivation to do it. And because uh, there are more people looking for jobs than they are people um, offering jobs. And so they, they feel like they have the advantage. So if you do not talk to them, then they will see no point in raising your salaries. And it's part of our cultural problem. We, uh, we get to the level we are so grateful for having a job that we do not feel like, like it is within our rights to ask that at least let the salary keep up with inflation. So in real terms, I am, I am what, what they call, I am just maintaining my living standards. I'm not even improving it. I'm just maintaining it. But that does not happen. So for, for that to happen, it's going to take um, a shift in our attitudes. Employee, employees need to be more comfortable with going to talk to their employers about their salaries. And to do that, they need to be sure that they are doing the job well. If you are doing a good job, you have years of experience in the business, you are an asset to the business. So you should feel comfortable based on what you are giving to the business to talk to your employer and ask for a raise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right about our attitudes. But do you, th okay, right now, if I have an issue with my boss or my employer, like right now, can I go to the, uh, the trade union to actually file a complaint or is it that they just deal with specific 
sector workers. So maybe I need to organize a union of my own colleagues and try to get a petition for a fair wage or, or what do you think about that? Yeah, there's what is known as the Labour Commission. So the Labour Commission basically enforces uh, the country's labour laws. Um, some of these laws are your right to leave, uh, your, your right to um, what is it called? paid leave specifically, um, your right to maternity leave um, if you are a mother, um, your your right to be given a notice of one month or, or at least uh, one month before you are fired or one month salary in lieu of that. Um, those kind of basic rights which you would expect, that's what the Labour Commission is there to enforce. And so depending on the nature of your disagreement with your boss, you can report to the Labour Commission. Um, but um, where it's no longer about statutory things, like what is mandated by law for every employer to give an employee, when it comes to um, periods when you think they have, they've, they've just been unfair, okay, then you may have to rely on the human resource in the business, assuming um, it's an independent human resource <laughs> um, organization, uh, human resource function or department within the organization. Uh, but apart from that, there really aren't many more options. So there's a labor commission, there's a human resource, or you could take the matter to court. Mm. And then on court, I'm assuming it's basically going to be by law, whether the employer followed the standards given by the law. So because of the lack of um, unionization in a lot of private sector companies, it, it becomes difficult. But then I, I think that um, an alternative to unions could be professional bodies, um, like the accountants, for example, have Institute of Chartered Accountants. Um, the tax experts have Chartered Institute of Taxation. Mm -hmm. If you have something like um, maybe a developers association or something like that, which um, kind of sets minimum standards uh, that employers have to meet for their members. And if an employer um, has treated one of them unfairly, they can decide that they won't let any of their members work for that particular employer or something like that. That is one way which maybe employees could be treated better. Yeah, that, but I think this is where like data, good data will come in. For instance, like maybe, you know, if you're going to work in this particular sector, that the average wage is this and you mm -hmm. can increase mm -hmm. to this amount. So that you know that, okay, you have been paid fairly. So if you mm -hmm. have any dispute, the employer can look and say, well, with the data and just the market value, I guess, that this is mm -hmm. what we're compensating you like fairly. So you have no like, case, but we don't have that much data. It's hard to find data on, let's say maybe 
people in engineering supposed to end this much or uh, market techs end this much. I don't think we have that data, do we? No, we do not really have that data. And um, that comes once again um, to our culture and also um, the fact that um, statistical, uh, in terms of statistics, we are not doing enough as a country. We do not even have employment statistics on a regular basis in this country. Mm -hmm. That's, true. And, That's true. Yes. And for um, average salaries, we need to have um, service and we need people to answer these surveys. We need businesses to answer these surveys. If you know that um, the average salary of an accountant in Ghana, for example, um, is let's say 2,000, for example, cities a month. And for an engineer, it's let's say 5,000 cities a month. For a doctor, let's say it's 4,000 cities a month. Then this is what uh, kind of informs uh, people's decisions about the kinds of careers they want to go into. Because you look up online and you can basically tell maybe, for example, the United States, there may be um, uh, an engineer makes maybe um, from 70 to $100,000 a year. Um, a doctor makes maybe eighty to $120,000 a year. So this is information that guides people. And apart from having the salaries, you also have information about what percentage of people who do these particular college majors are employed after 12 months. All that data is available and that informs people. It allows people to make informed decisions about uh, careers, college majors, uh, master's degrees, um, taking uh, online courses and all of that. But for us, we are kind of, um, I don't know, we, we, we kind of move, we are moving in the dark. Hmm. So somebody decides that, oh, um, law is a lucrative field. And so I want uh, my daughter to study law, for example, without any data to back it. I want my, uh, I'm going to study medicine. I'm going to do medicine. And you do not know what the average salary is. There. You do not know what the prospects are. And so this lack of information, which is as a result of uh, one, our unwillingness to disclose how much we are earning, and two, the poor statistical um, operations in the country in terms of gathering employment data, remuneration data. These two things are what contributes to this lack of information. Yeah, true, because even like even the data, official data of this, I'll be honest, I'm not really like trusting it much. For instance, whenever I hear that unemployment, the unemployment rate is like 7%, I'm like, are we sure? Because it's, it, well, I don't know, maybe it, that's accurate, but it doesn't seem to be. To be. 
Yes, I, 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 I get those sentiments perfectly. We need some level of consistency in terms of um, this is, um, they, come, they have the definition of what counts as unemployment. Then they should have the definition of what counts as underemployment. And they should say that every month, or if they cannot do it, every quarter, we are going to bring out the unemployment rates. And so um, one thing about um, data per se is that if a data is not 100% um, accurate, but at least the methods are consistent, then you can always tell when there's something is wrong, when there's something wrong. So for example, we, we have had a situation where about three, about um, a few months ago, um, if I'm not mistaken, about six months ago, I wrote about this. We changed the method through which we measure inflation in Ghana. Mm -hmm. So inflation is measured by, it's, there's a basket of goods and every month they go through some selected markets to see how much the price the prices in that particular basket have risen. And that's what informs our inflation rates. So what they did was they changed the basket. They expanded it, I think. And inflation for the next month dropped down significantly. And then because of that, it means all the previous data, you can no longer compare it to this new one. Right. And, and you just lose some comparison over there. And then the same thing happens to our gross domestic products. In 2010, it was revised significantly upwards, and then we became a, a lower middle-income country. Then in 2018 again, 2018, I think, yes, it was revised upwards 25% to our GDP. And then you start to wonder, so, I mean, are we really um, having uh, data that we can make decisions by? Because if you, you suddenly see yourself as a lower middle income country, and then later you adjust your GDP up by 25%, and then I can bet you that before the end of this decade, they may adjust it up again. Right. And you wonder, wow, it's like, so much comparison is lost. So for example, we, we take, we are comparing debt to GDP between the previous government and this one. But then the GDP basis has significantly changed. So are you doing an apples to apples comparison or are you doing an apples to oranges comparison? Yeah. Yeah, we, are, we need to have some level of consistency because if the data is not accurate, even if we say 7% unemployment rate is, is not necessarily accurate, but we continue to use that method um, consistently so that the next quarter we say the unemployment is now at 9%. Even if it may be way more than 9%, the fact that it has increased tells us there's a problem that we need to address. And if it has reduced, it tells us we may be doing something right. 
yet. So we, we need some consistency in the methods um, which uh, we use to, to measure our national uh, economic data. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like, one thing I'm always seeing from the Americans, right? They always, they always put out their numbers and talk about the employment rate or even just like every month they come up with data and it shows you where America is growing or what other, what other sectors are growing and falling. But Ghana is like getting the data, even knowing about data. It's always, I guess, the statistical services who have to give us that information, but it's not as, I guess, regularly updated or available as it should be. Yes, that is, that is true. Um, it's been, it's been, it's a chronic problem. I mean, we've been talking about this, about employment data for at least um, two decades minimum that we've been trying to get employment. I mean, people have been asking for, let's have employment data. And I don't know why we cannot do it because Nigeria seems to do it. Mm -hmm. They are like, what, six times our population or five times our population. Um, on a per capita basis, I won't necessarily say that they are more resourced than us to be able to take out undertake such a survey. So I don't know why we cannot do that. And I saw a tweet today. Um, I think it was from uh, a guy called Austin, a journalist named Austin, where he said that every government comes and says we have increased, we have employed a million or three million yeah. people. Yeah. And and there's no data to back it up. True, true. We, we just take that at face value. Or um, somebody can say, today the unemployment is at an unprecedented level. Somebody who wants to win power can say, the unemployment is at an unprecedented level. And you are like, wait, so what is, where, where are you getting this data from? Exactly. How are we supposed to be accountable to government? I mean, if we are to, we are to ask somebody right now, um, between the previous government and now, who has tackled unemployment more? How is the person going to answer? Hmm. There's no scientific answer the person can give you. Hmm. Yeah, so that it's, it's a problem. We don't have that data. And it's funny because whatever government comes in are always talking about open data, open data, but it's never really comes to fruition. Was, where is the data? Who is giving you the data? Where is it coming from? How do I access it? We never mm -hmm. get the opportunity. Right, right, yes. And I think um, at least there's some, some opportunity um, for some uh, private service because um, of course a private individual is not going to match the statistical service in resources. Mm -hmm. But um, if you have a sample size of say um, a nationally representative sample of say 500 people and you are able to track those same 500 people over time to find out what their, what employment among those people is like. You could have your own kind of employment index. It could be the Joseph Employment Index. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Yes, basically providing something that even if it is flawed, the methodology is consistent and we are able to track it over time. Yes, so there is, these are, there is an opportunity for um, some private sector innovation um, to try to give us some data, which we are unfortunately not getting from um, the public services. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right about yeah. the private sector coming in to actually help with that. I mean, it will help to be a good starting point, and then over time we can refine it and get some level of accuracy going forward. Right, right, yes. Yeah. So, I think, and, and there's demand for it. I do not know if you remember, there was this um, blog which once came out um, uh, trying to estimate the net worth of Ghanaian individuals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah you realize it got a lot of traction. Yeah. Yes. And to be honest, I mean, even Forbes is a private, it's, it's no state institution. True. It doesn't have any tax records of people to verify. It just tries to use interviews and um, publicly available information and, and um, estimates, basically, to give us a list of the world's rich, richest people. And, and it's, it, and it's a, 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 a list that is well-respected, well-reputed, and people try to make up, uh, expand their wealth to, 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 to make the list. So there's, there's always an opportunity for uh, the private people to, to, to step in. Hmm. Yeah, hopefully, well, maybe hopefully, I mean, the opportunity is there now. I mean, right now, we're all kind of locked in, in a way. So yeah, I mean, you can mm -hmm. still gather data right now to start now and just get a point and just keep going if, you, if they can. Because it was good mm -hmm. to have. It's really good to have. Yeah. Yes, it will be awesome. It will be good. Yeah, but okay, let's not take too long of your time. I know you have, I know you said you have work to do later on. But yeah, let's just close it on this. Um, so if we're talking about data, right? I mean, I know this mm -hmm. guy, what's his name? Is it Ben Epstein or somebody? Yeah, Ben Epstein. Yeah, I like, yeah, he keeps doing these polls and doing these predictions. I mean, it's a good mm -hmm. starting point. It's not always accurate, but I think he's going mm -hmm. the right direction. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we need more of that? Like that type of like, okay, polling, getting more data, like survey, like service in general. Because I like what America does. I'm always looking at American mm -hmm. news. I like what they do when they survey people about mm -hmm. politics. Like right. how do they feel about their Congress? How do they feel about the president? That's a really good indicator of what's happening as far as the country. Right. I 100% agree with that. I was recently listening to um, a history lecture about US involvement in, um, I think, the Second World War. And they said it was around that time that public polling came out. So before then, the president basically had to assume what the public wanted. Mm -hmm. Had to assume, what, like maybe you listen to radio and try to judge the public mood. But then when polling started coming out, 
polling on every issue. Should we go, should we not go? Um, the president's approval ratings, things like that, they inform a lot of public policy. So imagine if we had a poll on um, should uh, the state finance a cathedral or not? Um, should the Electoral Commission compile a new voters register or not? Um, um, should we, um, what do they call this thing? Should we reopen schools in September or not? Imagine if all this data was available to um, the citizens as a whole and uh, uh, policymakers as well. Imagine how many more decisions will be made that um, actually reflect the, the wishes of the public. We could, we could be making way better decisions if we have polling in place. And, but once again, this, that US, the US polling um, um, institutions are independent of uh, private institutions. Yeah. So once again, the opportunity is available. Um, if people want to take a sample of people, pull them on several issues. And I think Afrobarometer does that. Let me let me give credit to them. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they come out regularly. Yes. Yeah. Or just yes, yes. Yes, Afrobarometer does that. I do not know how regular it is, whether it's on a month by month basis. And um, there's also the corruption perception index. Mm -hmm. That yes, the corruption perception index. Um, which um, basically tries to measure how corrupt a country is by looking at how corrupt the people think it is. Yes, so the perception. So that is also measured over time. But in terms of topical polling, that is, instead of looking at polling on things like corruption or governance, polling on things that are New, um, kind of dominating the headlines at a particular point in time. Um, like, for example, what is um, in the headlines now? Um, let's say, should schools be reopened in yeah. September? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, should schools be reopened in September? What do the majority of people think? What do students think? We do not know. We can just assume and then decisions are going to be made. Uh, and then we, we, do, we do not know what would have been the wishes of the people. Yeah, I mean, it would be good to get that perception because if, for instance, if like for instance, the government official says that, well, according to him, people he's spoken to, people are saying that yeah, they can open schools, but we don't know the general consensus of majority of the people. So that would be mm -hmm. a good way to actually get that in place. So at least you know that, well, majority are saying we don't think it's a good idea to open schools or right. it's a good idea. So yeah, that would help. And I, I actually think that even when you even venture into politics, it would help even better because it would even give government, like let the government know their positioning with the people. Because if they come out one side and say that, well, the people are saying we're doing well, 
if the general population got a better idea of how each other feels about where the government is heading, it would be good mm -hmm. because then they could actually make improvements if they see that, well, this could affect the elections in the next um, polling, uh, the next elections. Election, right, right. Yes, um, I think, in fact, there was one very, very um, uh, remarkable thing um, that I saw. This was from, I think, the National uh, uh, is it Commission for Civic Education, NCC. So in 2008 or 2007, they actually uh, ran a poll, okay, that predicted that um, the NDC was going to win the 2008 elections. Mm -hmm. And they actually won it. But then I realized since then, at least for 2016, I'm sure, since then, they, they dropped it out of their polling questions, which I think is either they dropped it or they omitted it from the final report, which I think uh, is, is unfortunate because that, uh, that level, the level of um, detail they go into, like they survey lots of people, they make sure that it's regionally representative and gender representative, they, and then they ask every uh, questions about what people will be voting on, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. corruption, the economy, employment, things like that. And then they, in, they include which party are you going to vote for? That is, that, that one, as of 2007, 2008, when they did the survey, that information was there and it predicted, it was very close. Like, I think it was like 48 to 47 or something like that, where it predicted an NDC victory. And since then, I've not seen that question in there. And I don't know why people would not want that information to be there. I mean, if I were a government, I would want to know yeah. whether yeah. people are going to vote for me or not. And yeah. then... Adjustments. Exactly, yes. Find out whether I need to make adjustments or I need to keep doing what I'm doing. But I know 2016, when the report was released, that important question was crucially missing. And I, I think that's unfortunate. I don't know whether it was omitted from the survey questions or the results were omitted. But can you imagine asking somebody about 20, 30 questions on the election and then not asking them who they will be voting for? Like, what's the point? Yeah, you don't get that really good, like holistic information or data, or data on the person. That'd be good to get. Yes, yes, that is, that is, in fact, to me, I mean, as uh, that would be of most interest to me as a casual observer, because the problems are always going to be there. People, um, <coughs> unemployment, people who have unemployment problems, health, education. But if they tell you who they are voting for, then that would be like, the real test of whether they think things are going well 
or things are going bad. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Because if somebody um, <clears throat> says everything is bad, but then I'm voting for this, this current person. government, mm -hmm. or somebody says everything is good, but then I'm voting for the opposition, mm. then you do not even know whether the answers to all the other questions had been um, um, accurate or not. And also if somebody says everything is bad and I'll be voting for the opposition, then you can also say that, oh, maybe the person is sympathetic to the opposition. That's why they are saying everything is bad. Right. And if they say everything is good and I'll be voting for the government, then you can say, oh, maybe the person is sympathetic to the ruling party. Mm -hmm. And that's why they are saying everything is good. Right. But without that information, how are you going to analyze? Yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't do it. So, yeah, it would be good to have. Um, hopefully, hmm, maybe next year somebody can start that again because I think it would be really good data to have anybody to analyze that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. it can be private organizations too. I mean, there's, you can get access. It would be a good project to start, actually. Right, it, it would be good. And I think someone should take it up. I know there are international um, survey organizations that carry out surveys in Ghana, mm -hmm. but they are usually for corporate entities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe they are calling you about what bank you want to use, which mobile network you use, what television you watch, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I won't be surprised if the politicians commission those people to, to carry that. out internal yeah. polling <laughs> like yeah, exactly. um, a party can uh, can call them and say, Charlie, I mean, carry out a survey and let me know whether I have a chance. Yeah, I mean, like. it'd be smart to do, actually, if you think about it. Right, right. Okay. All right, man. So, yeah, don't keep you waiting or keep you longer. But, yeah, thanks for love for coming on. really appreciate the conversation. I think it was a good one. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, have a good evening and take care. Uh, you too. All right.